What's up, y'all? My name is Jake. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thank you so much for tuning in. We deeply appreciate it. Today, we're going to talk about incel. Incel stands for involuntary celibate, Jake. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's raining out. Like, it's really pouring. pouring. I feel like we're not in Colorado right now. <laughs> like, I'm just not used to this, I guess. But yeah, yeah it's, I'm not bad. How about I, yourself? I'm curious if it's supposed to be snow but it's too hot so it's just rain mm. but global climate change aside i'm doing okay um <laughs> I, I like rain but yeah i'm excited to home stretch here for the semester so i'm i could really use a summer break yeah i feel that okay so involuntary celibate right when you hear that phrase what do you think i think about dudes that especially like white dudes i, I just it goes <laughs> i just go there immediately <laughs> um and these white dudes are just very like, oh, I, w- I can't get a woman or like I can't get to this, get laid basically. And then they're upset about it. And it's like, oh, this like goes back to the friend zone and then it kind of goes from there. And it seems like another just group that's similar and has similar ideologies to the red pill, I assume. I don't really know too much about incel as much as maybe like red pill and some other men's rights activist groups. But yeah, it surfaced recently because of the person that ran over 10 people in Toronto and killed them with a van. It was discovered that he is part of this online forum called Involuntary Celibates. They hold up Elliot Rogers as a messiah, basically. Mm -hmm. And Elliot Rogers was the one at UC Santa Barbara, I believe, who shot a bunch of women and people in general and blamed women for his issues. He's like, if only you had sex with me, you could have prevented this massacre, was his manifesto. I read Elliot Rogers' manifesto. I think it's kind of important like reading (laughs) to understand the mindset but the scary thing about incel and involuntary celibate we could talk about some of the underlying issues in a second but i think we as a society we as media i guess continue to ignore how young white men are being radicalized on online forums you mentioned the red pill like if you go to that reddit stream it's again i think it's important reading but it's a dark place yeah (laughs) holy It's really hard to it's hard to go through. Incel is exactly like that. The depth of buying into misogyny and kind of strangely organizing and feeling support from each other in that space is a radicalization process that leads to a lot of these mass murders and really scary things for women in particular. I think I don't I don't totally know what to do necessarily except to get familiar with the language that incel uses in order to potentially intervene in anyone that you hear using that. Um, But I do think it's important to start with breaking down what involuntary celibate even means. Like what are some of the roots? What are some of the quote unquote logic around involuntary celibate? Like why would that even be an invention of men? Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I think if you choose to be celibate, you choose it's it's rooted in religion, rooted in Christianity of waiting until marriage for sex. Right. Great choice. If that if you're into that kind of stuff, your, your body, your choice as a sex positive podcast, we would never say celibacy is wrong. But when they when these men stick the word involuntary in front of it, it takes on an entirely different meaning. Right. Yeah. Because it like, yeah, it's interesting because I even forget like i've heard of incel before and then like i just knew it by like this short name i was like okay that's their name then i was like no it stands for like involuntary celibate so i was like oh that makes a lot more sense now to me because all these like interesting white dudes basically want to say like they don't they're only getting they won't get laid because 
it's someone else's fault. Right. And it's like, nah, it's not. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It really speaks to the depth in which men, white men in particular in the United States, at least are sort of promised certain things, certain right. materialistic things. Um, it starts, I think with confidence, money, popularity, and strength, physical strength. Like those are very materialistic cells to young men and boys that, if you just sort of exist, all of this happiness will come your way. I think that framework is important because then sex also becomes materialistic, right? right? Sex becomes something that if you say, do, and behave in the right ways, then the sex will come. Specifically for involuntary celibates, they categorize women and men in ways that explains their quote unquote involuntarism in this process they have words like stacy's and chads mm. um stacy's being the stereotypical hyper feminized they would rate them 10 on a 10 scale of okay. women and they also like believe that these women these stacy's as they call them don't actually work they don't have to work um they can just have sex with chads who are your like stereotypical rich white dudes i think Probably the word frat gets in there for Chad as well. And they just sort of created this entire fantasy world of like they think women are the gatekeepers of sex. They firmly believe that any woman at any time can get laid by men hmm. at any point. You know, and I think what's tough for me is I remember thinking like that, that sex was something for me to be obtained from women. And because all of my friends, all of the young men and boys that I was around at the time, always looking to get laid, like sex was this trophy. It became a trophy, at least. It wasn't anything meant to be intimate or whatever. It just became this thing that I was supposed to do to legitimize myself as a man and legitimize myself with my male friends. Because I grew up in that in middle and high school, it made sense to me that women would be this like, of course, if every dude wants to have sex with you, then you can choose when to have sex, right? right. Like that's that's the logic. Thoughts about that? Yeah, I I'm thinking about what kind of what you were talking about is that like like if I were to go on their like whatever social media they are, I think probably Reddit is probably their biggest one. Yeah. Um, just like Red Pills, like doing that research was just oh my gosh, like <laughs> it's brutal. It was a rabbit hole for sure. And I think about how like maybe I think back to me probably I would say. Three years ago, like freshman year, kind of do, starting to do this work, but still really kind of still a little grounded in some misogyny and some sexism and some homophobia for sure. And even racism as well. And I think about how if I were to read this, this could be a kind of a way to radicalize myself because I was already almost socialized to think similarly, not to the extreme extent that incel and other groups are but i think sometimes i feel like that could be like almost a simple process for some white men because it's like i'm not this i blame women for this i am not popular because x y and z and so then that loneliness can go to like oh i'll just like look on websites to i'll just google stuff and maybe reddit would pop up i think that's like kind of what they get like that's what kind of how they get men into this like i just think there's some underlying kind of motive there i don't know it's, it's interesting to some degree it is a self-recruiting process because of the way our society is set up to promise all of these young white men that they will get 
everything just from existing. Right. And so when that doesn't come, there's no resilience there. There's no built up self-critical self-reflection, no built up ability to like humanize themselves as well as other people. And so I think these kinds of online forums, it's not natural at all, Hmm. but there is a pipeline that pushes men there as a result of the way society has been set up. And it's just another facet of examining rape culture in the sense of this is a real echo chamber. Like the the echoes of it are so strong because they're so validated through their anger at women in particular for their quote unquote shortcomings that they don't recognize as their own. Like I don't, it's, it's pretty scary um, that, and I'm, more or less shocked that there haven't been more there hasn't been more like overt murder and violence coming out of this group mm-hmm. um just from hearing bits and pieces of or just from my very limited understanding of what where they're coming from and how they think it's a pretty gross dehumanization process of women and i think themselves and I, it's i think it's important to go in and read and think about the way they think and talk about themselves and the lives that they're living because there's a solid chance that we know some of them in our lives, yeah. particularly in high school and in college. There's a high chance that you know somebody who's kind of engaged in that. One of the other things that I know for sure that pops up on their forums is they talk a lot about pornography and how it replaces or like weekly replaces some of the emptiness that they feel because of all the things we talked about in the porn podcast. One of the things we didn't talk about in the porn podcast that I think that relates here is there's an element of control in consuming porn, right? You can pick the type that you want to watch and then more or less insert yourself, if you will, into that process. You can imagine yourself in a pornography and doing that. And that helps at least fulfill some emptiness, I think. Um, in someone's life and help them feel a sense of control because the priority of having sex and getting laid has been so emphasized by men in our society. That's why I say things like mainstream pornography, at least, is propaganda for rape culture because it's the wood and the gasoline that fuels this attitude that women are and can get laid whenever they want. Right. And um, I think it's, I guess, important to think about that too, even when men want to engage in a, like a good sexual experience with someone that wants to feel that le- a high level of intimacy with them as well. And them kind of having these ideologies that it has to just be for them. Then, I mean, pun intended, what the f- are you doing? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, yes, I do have a pornography addiction and I recognize there's a lot of harm with that. And I think that was the ways in which I could feel that I could cope with em- some level of emptiness or a way of kind of, it was more of a way to avoid feelings actually, but which part is part of the emptiness. But I think there's a component of me going, oh, okay, I need to switch my brain on. That was like really, that was really not probably something I should do. I probably should go exercise or go do something else. And I think it's interesting that maybe even the people, the high level of porn consumed is yes, white, cis, hetero men. And how many of these folks from incel are consuming porn like every day, a couple hours a day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has a, a pretty, uh, I would say, deliberate impact on the way they view the world. They're fairly like, I think they would describe the root of their feelings as sexually frustrated. And I think it permeates a lot of their lives. And so when they describe people or when they're frustrated with like their bosses who happen to be women and stuff like that, they will describe them in very like sexualized terms. Specifically, if they don't like them, they'll describe them as ugly or flat or have no 
or whatever, again, sort of objectifying in a very negative way. There's no positive way to objectify, but (laughs) in a, in a way that dehumanizes them even further by negatively associating some level of attractiveness, like everything in their the way they view the world is about who is and who is not and being incredibly sort of obsessed and jealous by these chads who are wealthy successful men who always get laid and so when you attach porn to that again i think it's just this huge fire that stems from a very deep sense of entitlement that they deserve more than they actually have it's there is zero self-reflection in all of this it is amazing to think how atrophied that part of their brain is i don't think there's a it's just it's brutal. Yeah. And so then I remember when we had the um, podcast with DL and Patrice and they talked about kind of having this level of confidence that was totally different. The ways in which I would view like white cis hetero men confidence and how if you don't have that kind of level of confidence, then you're almost kind of hurting others. You're hurting yourself and you're basically kind of on this way of like knowing that feeling like you're lesser than just because that's how it's supposed to be or that's the way it is. And I guess for these, in this case, these white cis hetero men are blaming others for their own insecurities and their own lack of like maybe having this confidence and maybe this self love yeah. that you have. And, and I think that's maybe the ways in which they almost reproduce more of this violence and harm because that's all they, that's all they know. And that's all they feel. Yeah. When I think about this collective group of men, the, the feeling that I get is this vast emptiness. It is just so sad. The ways that they aren't supported with like a loving cushion, they're supported with hatred and anger. And it's, that's why when we talk about self-reflection as a course of action, that's why when we talk about vulnerability and genuine connection with other people. We talk about those things as very viable solutions to creating a better world, particularly with men, because when you enter into spaces like the red pill or the incel community, quote unquote community, I think there's a very foundational missing component of community in the incel group. <laughs> yeah. But the the men there are definitely getting something that they're not getting somewhere else. And that's validation and support in ways that only they know how with each other, which is through anger and oppression. So I I don't know and don't want to humanize people like the Toronto murderer person. I think I say this to like men, you and I, and anyone who's listening who identifies as a man, we just have to start reaching out to people. I think people are fairly hardwired to create connection. And so being able to see someone who needs connection is an instinctual process that I think we can continue to rely on. Like it might be really difficult, if you will, to reach out and connect with what I would categorically say is a But that is part of the social justice process for us in terms of building this genuine connection with this person might be a form of transformative justice for the future, right? Like if that keeps this person from forms, just toxic forms that melts people's logic and view of humanity, that's a win. So, you know, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's going to be fun. I'm just saying when... You and I talk about self-reflection as a process of social justice for men, but you and I talk about genuine connection as a social justice process for men. This group is a great example of why that process really matters. Yeah. And I think it's really important to, I guess, I mean, yeah, that 
self-reflection is, I think, a really good tool. Really, any anti-oppression work that you do, especially as men, because we're always, <laughs> we're always f***ing up and then yes. learning about it. Unless, or at least for me. <laughs> and so I think it's important to really use that and then also understand how to maybe be also self-reflexive and put that into a practice and understand the ways in which you show up, how you're speaking to others, etc. Having that skill or that tool in your tool belt is and also really valuable as like, especially as a man doing this work, because I feel I feel like there is a level of strength or resiliency that I guess sometimes men can really go through some a lot, a lot of. Yeah, (laughs) I guess in my experience doing this work, I see myself like having some harder conversations than I thought I would um, and still like going, okay, that's that was I felt like that was either productive or wasn't. And I felt like I grew from that at least. Um, And hopefully I planted a seed in their brain and maybe they'll check out something and read something about what we had to talk about. And I think that's really important. I think sometimes that's harder said than done. And I think some men, in the, I would say men in this process of doing social justice might, I guess at first have a hard time with that, just like settling with like, I can't change your mind. And it's like, well, yeah, don't try to change their mind. Cause that's one that's draining and two that's rooted in white supremacy and a lot of other ways of control and power. So yeah, and I think well, I keep saying self-reflection is a skill. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. I've been asked, like, wait, can you really teach someone self-reflection? Yeah, I do. Th- I think we can. I know that my ability to self-reflect was more or less drilled into me growing up mixed. So it comes a little bit easier for me because I think I've been self-reflecting without knowing it. And I do encounter men who have that ability where I'm just where I say something like, yeah, no, that's internalized homophobia. And they go, oh. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. That is a process of self-reflection, right? Mm. But I, I, I don't, I don't, I wish I could create some sort of tool, page, like a page of like, here's how to self-reflect. I don't think I can do that today. Uh, a how-to guide. Yeah. A how-to guide for self-reflection. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah, I think that would, because I think when men begin to understand like, oh, self-reflection is a tool for anti-oppression, specifically for men, then they go, well, how do I do it? And I don't think I totally have the answer to that. So I think we have to keep pushing ourselves to think about self-reflection as a skill because that changes the nature of how to translate that skill, how to teach that skill Mm -hmm. to other men. So speaking of self-reflection, Jake, today is your last podcast recording. And following this episode, I will have a new co-host. This is a 26th podcast, I think, that you and I have done together (laughs) in one year, right? Yeah. More like nine months, Yeah, which is ridiculous, I think. And it's been a hell of a ride. And so speaking of self-reflection, it would be cool to hear about your four years here at CSU, what it's been like to be part of the Women Agenda Advocacy Center as a cishetero white dude for three of those four years. And then take us out on what you've been through these last four years. Yeah. Um, hmm. So I guess I, I'm trying to think like, cause I started out as this ethnic studies major and I had no idea why. <laughs> okay. Well, well I knew kind of why, cause I was interested in the work, but they would, people ask me why, like even from the department the first day and they're like, why are you here? And I was like, I don't know what to say. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm glad I could prove something to them. And so that was kind of part of it. And then just understanding that 
I guess me being at CSU, it was definitely a transition being from Aurora and going to just a pretty big school and high school, which was Cherry Creek High School. And so I think I was, yeah, like kind of going back to our conversation about Intel a little bit is that I definitely kind of grew to have this like broiness, this like okay. dude broiness, which is fascinating. And I would look back on that and go, hmm, I think sometimes I was even like, I don't like myself this way. Like, okay. And so that was really interesting. And so I started like with uh, going to classes with ethnicity in the media and my women's studies 397 class intro to gender based violence in U.S. context. I quickly was like, oh, this is this behavior is pretty problematic and bad. So I'm going to start eliminating some language. I'm going to try to read more, learn more from other people, try to take in feedback the best I can. Um, Sometimes I think it was harder to take in feedback than other times. Um, I think that was a key component because I was definitely like uh, spring freshman year while taking the class with you and Monica. I don't think I was in the best place. Like I was drinking sometimes, smoking weed, playing video games, not going outside as much, hanging out with three other dudes a lot. And they were not the best. Um, That's the best influences. And also, uh, yeah, not the best influences, whether that was behavior or just ways of living. And I guess I had the support of my brother to kind of say, you know what, this is not the Jake I know, and this is something unhealthy. And I, it took me a while to recognize that. And then so that summer in between freshman year and sophomore year, I definitely took some time to actually self-reflect, which is fascinating in itself. And just was like telling myself, I need to get engaged with something better and do something better. And so Men in the Movement was kind of, I think, my way into feeling better and doing something better with my life. And then after that kind of got hired to be on the Red Whistle Brigade after applying, but there's a level of privilege there. Um, and yeah, being a cis hetero white dude in the, in the office at the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, definitely a very, very, very big learning process, learning curve. But I felt like I fit in too at the same time. I think that it was important to be humble. And I think there was a long process of getting there. I think I got there. And so I think that was really cool to be in a space where I felt really welcomed and safe, but at the same time, very challenged and very almost as like, okay, here's, here's our, here's Jake. He's going to be learning today. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, "Yeah," like every other day. Um, I think I guess my college experience was pretty great, pretty great in the ways of like just learning more and being, having that personal growth, um, having a lot of, I guess, struggle on the, along the way. And sometimes people weren't validating in my own experiences. And I get, I get uh, some reasons why, cause they're like, well, you have a lot of privilege and it's like, yeah, but it doesn't mean I don't have going on with me, I guess. Um, and that had to do with like people that were really close to me in my life and no longer are. Yeah. I think, so I think about also how the ways in which like masculinity has like helped and harmed me at the same time through this process of being in college. And I think it's really helped me a lot in having this like drive to just grow more and be a better person. But at the same time, there's times where like I should be trying to be vulnerable and it's like, nope, my masculinity just wants to suck up the tears and all the feelings back into wherever in maybe the back of my brain or something. And I think that's been hard for me lately in the he- in a healing process kind of way. You talk a little bit more about what healing meant and looked like to you. Yeah, I guess for me, healing 
always is, I guess there's been a lot of times where there was a lot of, a lot of like doubt and a lot of shame and guilt around things that either I would do or what I've said. And it was more of like, oh, I made a mistake. So therefore I am the mistake. And then I'll keep like saying, oh, Jake, you're an idiot. You're, you're this, you're that, you're not worth it. But it was more of like this level of guilt and shame. I think that I would say mostly was put on me by myself. And then sometimes like I would say probably my ex. Also, um, what I really tried to do through this healing process for me is uh, surround myself with men that I would hold as like really good friends. I think Will, Willie, William, any other subset, (laughs) what's up? Shout out to subset has been a very helpful friend and a very good friend in that regard. And I think we can both process what's going on with us without being like, oh, Jake, you're just talking about your ex again. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I think that was a component of healing that I didn't go to because I felt like I would always just go to women and then it'd be just a ton of emotional labor for women. So I think that was something I tried to kind of reduce in the process, but also spending time with women was important too, without always getting to this level of vulnerability and then having to carry that weight. So that's parts of healing for me. I would say I've definitely have learned more about healing and radical self-love through actually the event that we did and also just reading a lot more about it. If you haven't read it, it's um, My Body is Not an Apology. It's an awesome book. Totally recommend it. Um, It's been actually really helpful for me. Or I never thought I would be like here right now just saying these last like words. And yeah, and it's truly special. So, well, I think you're... Using the wrong word, if you will, because there isn't a replacement, Jake, right. that's coming. Right. Um, there is nothing that I could do or anyone could do to replace you here. I think that it's been so, I mean, I think I've known you for three and a half years now. And to see the growth from day one in class to today is a process of hope for me. Not to say that you were like this evil douchebag and so guy <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning. Um <laughs> this that's not the case. It's just seeing the hope is to see that there are men out there with the ability to do this kind of growth, to recognize when harm has been made both in the past and in the present and being able to think thoughtfully about what healing would look like or to implicate yourself in that, I think is it was and will be incredible to watch. I don't know how other professionals on campus do their work in the sense that I get to do my work because the authenticity of connection with the male students that I work with is um, rare, I would say. And you're a shining example of that. I've seen you at your worst. You've seen me at my worst. I don't know if we've totally communicated with that or communicated to each other around that, but I know for a fact that you would have been there to listen for me if I asked. And I mean, I probably I think I have and I knew I knew that I would be that for you too and I think it's gonna suck <laughs> to not <laughs> to not have you here next semester so yeah. um thank you thank you thank you for doing this I know it wasn't easy um I'm really happy for you I'm glad you're graduating I'm glad that well I hate that you're graduating <laughs> and I'm glad that you're graduating yeah Good Thanks. luck out there. I'll always be here for you. I love you. And love thank you. you so much for for doing this, man. Yeah, thank you. I love you too, man. You got any last words? Um <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> no. Um You didn't think about this, huh? No. I thought it would go off the cuff. <laughs> That's fine. I don't think I guess for me, I don't think I would 
be as happy as I am if I weren't doing this work. And I, I wouldn't be, I think I'd be in a pretty place actually. Um, and I think it's important to understand the complexities of this work and how it affects you. Um, cause you can, I think as men sometimes, or at least as cis hetero men in my case can sometimes just blindly go into it. You can like walk out of a conversation and like pretend like you don't feel anything, which is complete bull. You'll feel a lot in my, that's in my case at least. And I think it's important to enact these levels and feelings of vulnerability and self growth and healing, right. That we've been talking about. I think also I want to say thanks for listening and I guess maybe valuing our voices in ways that maybe are helpful for you. And, and I'm just really sad to leave. Um, and I think, I think I want to say, I guess one more thing is that I am a person that has a very big inner critic. Like I'm very, I internalize a lot and don't let that always sway you to feel like you're less. And that's been something I've been really growing out of, of, doing that and I internalize a lot of things and then tell myself I'm not doing the right work I'm not doing this right I'm not worth this whatever um and it's really destructive but you should criticize yourself sometimes and I think that's important for this for this work is that we're you're gonna face criticism and you have to face it head on and you have to be open to it um I think especially as men we should be giving feedback and being like, Oh, you know what? You're right. I'm going to try to do better in this way. If it doesn't work, let's talk about it. How can we fill the gaps? And then the person doesn't have that responsibility to give you more feedback because that is a gift. And I've given, been given a lot of gifts and that's a very, a very, very high privilege. Um, especially from Carl, he's probably the best, best gift giver ever. Uh, (laughs) Ironic. Um, And so I think that's really important. And I think having that level of, I guess, gratitude is important. I think that's another way in which expressing gratitude is important, important process, especially for men, because I think we have a hard time going, thank you and all this. And then we just keep talking like I'm doing right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So thank you so much. And I am seriously just amazed. And I'm lost for words actually at the moment. So. So thank you. And that will do it for this episode of Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Huge shout out to the partnership between the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University. These are the folks that allow this podcast to happen. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for more information about the WGAC, go to wgac.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Music production by Xavier Hadley, a.k.a. Zavley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-B-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. Thanks, everyone. See ya. I like rain. I'm just not prepared for it today, unfortunately. So I don't know. I just like, I often joke that it matches my insides. So I'm always kind of energized by it, but. You can ask why it matches your insides. Because <laughs> it's dark and stormy, man. Anyway. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> that's a joke. Um, you know, an in joke for people with depression and maybe, I don't know.